Hi. How's it going, everybody? I'm back. And that means we're back. The MMA Frequency is back. Back for our summer editions. Sorry about the extended absence again. I got a little sicky-wicky. Wasn't able to record the podcast for a week or two, and then the UFC just started waging psychic warfare against me with how terrible these cards have been. But UFC 290 was a gem. It was a little pearl. It's been a very low-key month, the month of June in MMA. Amanda Nunes retired about 20 minutes after I ran Donna did in their fight. Kevin Lee retired after getting his ass beat one last time. Charles Oliveira picked up a, a very impressive win over Benil Dariush. That's our boy, so we uh, love to celebrate our boys. Jared Carnier put a historical clattering off of the side of Martin Vittori's thick orc skull. Ilya Tapuria put on a defensive masterclass to cruise to a win over Josh Emmett. Sean Strickland beat some random middleweight guy by having more than one round of cardio. And Grant Dawson finally came into his own by little brothering and full Nelson. <laughs> locking a full Nelson on Demir's Magulov. Fun stuff, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about UFC 290. Now, this is the rest of this card, whatever. It was exciting. I don't really care. We're talking about the main card. The main card was incredible. This, however, Robbie Lawler and Nico Price, that was the closing prelim fight, and uh, it was just incredible. Robbie Lawler's always been a legend in the welterweight division. First battle Hall of Famer. Always incredibly game. Always willing to take the tough fight. And took out basically every single welterweight of his time, you know, that had a name to count. Josh Koscheck, Matt Brown, Johnny Hendricks, Carlos Condit, Rory McDonald. Lined them up, knocked them all down. UFC 199-189, believe it or not, was actually my first ever pay-per-view. And Lawler McDonald 2, their second fight, is what completely transfixed me. It's this horrible, terrible, violent sport. And... It took about 36 seconds for Robbie Lawler to make me feel like a 15-year-old again. Went on Nico Price. Bing, bang, boom. Hook, hook, uppercut. A little bit of dirty boxing. Knocked him out clean. Got his chance to uh, celebrate in the sun. Everybody in the arena was loving it. And uh, it was a, basically a perfect ending to a damn fine career by Robbie Lawler. So the MMA frequency, we salute you, sir. Uh, Bo Nickel just completely rinsed the Contender Series scrub they brought in to fight him. So, literally nothing to say about that. Dan Hooker versus Jalen Turner. Uh, This was a really depressing fight for me. (laughs) They had a couple of cents on Jalen Turner, and he completely and absolutely sold pretty badly. Uh, He put in a beautiful performance for 1.75 rounds of this fight. He was staying long, he was using his kicks, hitting the body, staying out of Hooker's reach. Utilizing his jab is very, very good performance, but Dan Hooker is one tough, oceanic son of a bitch. And I did pick this up in the second round, and Dan Hooker picked it up too, rewatching. Jalen Turner was, he, he had good footwork, and he was circling, but he was circling in one direction the whole time. He wasn't, he wasn't cutting back and forth, he was only moving clockwise around Dan Hooker. And when he retreated, he would retreat straight back with his hands... Like, his hand's on his waist. And Dan picked this up towards the end of the second round, sent him retreating, and chased him on the retreat, hit him with a 1-2, and just completely clattered the guy. Uh, Almost knocked him down. I think it was a slip from Jalen Turner, but 
Starting the third round, Jalen looked terrible. He was gassed. He was completely punched out of the fight. Uh, tried to mix in a little bit of body work to buy himself some time, but Dan Hooker knocked him down. And Dan Hooker at this point was so bloodied up and tired because Jalen was doing really, really good in the first two rounds. Jalen cracked him with an insane head kick, a couple of really, really nice elbows. So Hooker was just kind of laying on the guy. But he, he carried the last minute of the second round and the third round very convincingly. So he picked up the decision. And it was a pretty incredible, gutsy performance by Dan Hooker. Jalen Turner, though, you sold, buddy. You sold real, real bad. Speaking of not exactly selling, but results that... Uh, I We're so back? No. we're it, It's so over. It's over, boys. I'm a sad, sad man. Because Drikus Duplessis out-muscled, out-strategized, and out-struck Robert Whitaker. Pain. Pain. Pain, 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 pain. It's all pain all the time on this podcast. But Drikus picked up on two things that kind of look painfully obvious now. He talked about them in the post-fight interview, which is that Robert Whitaker, headhunter and has severe trouble with the southpaw jab. Uh, Drikas kept his guard so high the entire fight, it was unbearable. I was just, on my my rewatch for this, just begging Rob to throw anything at the body to slow this guy down, because Drikas looks, in terms of just his frame, is absolutely massive for the weight class, and carries a stupid amount of power in that big, dumb body. (laughs) His big, dumb body. But uh, Rob threw his signature, that signature one-two slide back head kick combo twice, and both times they bounced right off of Drikas' high guard. And Rob walked onto that southpaw jab that started the finishing sequence, the southpaw jab that totally cracked him. But every single time Drikas threw the southpaw jab before that, it also broke Rob's guard. Uh, Drikas did everything right. He took Whitaker down in the first round with a head and arm throw. A head and arm throw! Uh, muscled through all of Whitaker's defenses on the ground, had a great end to the first round, just raining down elbows on Whitaker's head. Generally just made one of the toughest outs in the whole middleweight division look easy and claimed his shot for the next middleweight title fight against Israel Adesanya. Took little to no damage. Rob had some good success on the feet early in the fight, but it looked like he uh, barely touched the guy and Adesanya was there and walked into the cage afterwards. I'm not even going to touch. I'm not going to touch the African stuff, the racial issues. Drikas is a little dumb for saying what he said. But he also walked into the cage, called Drikas his African brother, and then just started saying the N-word at him like seven times. So I think Drikas still looked a little sloppy. Adesanya should be able to just completely dismantle him like he's dismantled guys like Costa. But I wouldn't be surprised. I'd just be depressed if he managed to bring the belt back to Africa. Oh, I'm, I train. I'm the only. I breathe the African air. Oh, what a sad, sad fight. Speaking of fight that was not sad, though, Alexander Pertoja versus Brandon Moreno. This might honestly be my top build contender for fight of the year so far. These two guys were coming at each other 
all 25 minutes, all action. And it was so evenly contested that, like, the scorecards were wonky. They were all over the place. But Pantoja dropped Moreno with a beautiful left hook in the first round. And at the end of that round, it looked like he was attempting to elbow his head through the mat. Moreno started stepping on the jab to keep Pantoja at distance because Pantoja was like, he was having difficulty blitzing in and getting good strikes off. His only like good rushes came from takedowns, which I'll talk about the grappling later. But Moreno was stepping on that jab, and it took Pantoja until the end of the first, towards the middle of the second round, to be like, hey, what if I use my jab too? And he started throwing a little bit of heat back, and it just kind of equaled up the noise in, in even exchanges so that it wasn't just Moreno jabbing his head off the whole time. But the grappling was incredible. Pantoja had had the takedowns at will whenever he wanted them in the back half of the fight. Uh, Pantoja also had a beautiful back take in the third round, especially since spent the majority of the round uh, with the body triangle on Moreno's back. And, like, even even wading in through fire, there, there was a moment at the beginning of round four where Moreno elbowed Pantoja right in the face, stumbled him, and Pantoja essentially fell through into the takedown and still got it. Every single takedown for Pantoja was beautiful, picture-perfect, and he got them all at will. Uh, Moreno's striking range definitely did collapse late in the fight as well. And I don't even want to say is it like, Moreno wasn't outclassed or anything. He was still throwing back. He was hurting Pantoja even into the fifth. But I was, my, my most conservative scorecard, I think, is probably Pantoja 1-3-5. I think he did enough. He obviously knocked him down in the first round, had the body triangle, that great grappling in the third, and I think he did enough in the fifth to win. But both guys were coming at each other all fight long. Even, even when... Uh, Pantoja got Moreno down. Moreno was pulling off great scrambles to get on top, to get escape the 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 mat. It was it was a great great fight. I'd I'd have to really I really want to see somebody break this down into more granular detail. But it was an incredible incredible fight. Fight of the year contender so far on my short list. These both guys truly champs at heart. Incredible incredible fight. And the main event of two ninety was also just absolutely incredible. If you come at the king, you best not miss. And Volkanovski put on a masterclass in the main event. He came out with something that nobody really thought that he was going to do after he spent five rounds just punching Max Holloway's face off. He, he wrestled Yair to extreme effectiveness. And Yair did get that. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that I was really speculative of going into this fight. Because Yair definitely worked on his grappling, but I, I just I just wasn't sure if his grappling was at a place where he could compete with a guy like Alexander Volkanovsky, and I can now very decisively say that no, his grappling was not in a place where he could compete with a guy like Alexander Volkanovsky. He is not Charles Oliveira, but Yair threw a double kick early in the first round. He threw a kick that Volk checked and caught, and while Yair was trying to throw the second kick Volk pulled the leverage on the kick and threw him to the ground and just stayed on him the entire round. He got the uh, the double leg in the second round, stayed on him that entire time too. It, it was incredible. His top control was great. 
He was very active on the ground with his striking, just just beating the guy up. And every time Yair got back up against the cage, Volk would return him to the mat. It's incredible performance. And honestly, Yair didn't even look terrible. He didn't look bad. His kick speed and his hands were lightning fast. Even going into the third round, they were really, really fast. But the thing is, as he started to get going, in the first two rounds, the kicks were keeping Volkanovski at range. And he was keeping him on the outside with the kicks, the head kicks, the leg kicks, the body kicks. But as Yair started to feel himself and hit more combos with his hands and getting close, he threw a body kick that Volk just clattered him with a massive counter right hand, right hook. And it's just it was the beginning of the end. Got him up against the cage, dumped him on the ground with a double leg, and just rained down a bunch of punches to get the TKO. Folded him. It was... You're watching one of the best fighters in the world right now. You're watching one of the best fighters ever when you watch Alexander Volkanovsky fight. And they didn't get Tapuria in the cage, like they got Izzy in the cage after the DDP fight. But I don't really want to see him go up to 155 again. Like, he's going to take another four months long camp to, like... No, I, I want to see him clear out this division. I want to see him clear out anything even resembling a top five. And then he can take the eight months to bulk up to 155. It's not like Islam is going anywhere. I just... I would much rather him fight Tapuria next instead of uh, going to Abu Dhabi or something. But incredible, incredible performance from Alexander Volkanovsky. And before we talk about this weekend's card, we got a little bit of news. New, 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 new news. So, uh, John Jones is beating up on another... John Jones is taking a page out of the Conor McGregor playbook and beating up on an elderly man. They made. They officially made. Oh, they officially made the Jones Stipe Miocic fight for a uh, UFC 295, the MSG card. And listen, I'm not huge on Sergey Pavlovich, or really any current heavyweight contender besides Tom Aspinall. But Jones could have fought one of those guys. He could have tried to fight a real contender, but instead they're dredging the corpse of Stipe Miocic out of the closet. Hold on. Let's let's look at this right now. Let's let's Stipe. Miocic. Mm. Let's see. Oh, he's actually not as old. Oh, 40. Okay. He's going to be 41 when he fights Jones. Not an ideal age to be coming off of a two-year inactivity span after getting completely rinsed by Francis Ngannou. Not ideal. I mean, if I could go through, like, a time vortex and pluck out 2017 Stipe, it'd be great. I think he'd win. I think he'd beat Jones. But that guy's not walking into that cage. I expect a very, very depressing finish and more lemmings on MMA Twitter to be like, She's the best. Jones is the greatest ever of all time. But speaking of heavyweight news and the guy that uh, he didn't actually want to fight, Francis Ngannou got paid, baby. That boxing match with Tyson Fury is officially on for later this fall. And we haven't seen any hard numbers yet, but it's, it, the claims, at least from like Hawani and Jake Paul, is that his purse is at least eight figures, which, good. Between this and the uh, being the chairman of PFL Africa, I'm very, very happy for Francis. Uh, leaving the UFC and all of their dumb shills behind in the dust because they all said he couldn't do it. They all said Fury wouldn't make the fight. But, listen, I'll be there. I'll watch it. It'll probably be fun. No, uh, there's really no sweat on Francis if he loses to one of the best boxers of all time. I don't think he's going to win, but if he won, it would be awesome. 
and then he just gets to cruise into PFL and just beat up their terrible heavyweights for the rest of his career. I don't really see what the loss is here for Francis Ngannou because he's finally getting paid his worst. And good for him, man. Good for him. I'm sure they'll, uh, they'll, the Shields will find some way to justify this being a bad deal somehow. I'm sure they will. Speaking of UFC Shields, uh, Alexander Pantoja, new UFC flyweight champion. Did I? My, my bad. I didn't even say that he won the fight. Uh, but new UFC champion went on the MMA hour last week and said that he was, like, two fights ago, he was driving Ubers to help support his family. Uh, one of these days, we'll, we'll go fully in on fighter pay. I'll do, like, a special episode breaking down the contracts and everything. Uh, but it's just despicable stuff. It's, it's really... These guys should be getting paid a livable wage. They're clearly not, except for a very, very slim, slim grouping of fighters at the top. And even this guy, who was a top, top perennial contender in the division, was still had to do a side hustle in between fights. It's, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. But could you imagine pissing off your Uber driver? And <laughs> it's like Pantosha. It's like, get out of my car. Yeah, that, that, would, that would be terrifying. I, I, would, I would not be a fan. Oh yeah, that's another fun fact. Uh, apparently, the UFC was was out a Brazilian champion for the first time in like twelve years after Ahmed Nunes retired. That gap was filled in like forty two days or something like that. Now the Pantoja is champ, so good for the people of Brazil. Sad for the people of Mexico, I guess, because they lost two in one card. But enough dilly dallying. Speaking of cards, I have to talk about the card this weekend. I don't want to talk about the card this weekend. I'm literally going to talk about four fights. Holly Holm versus Myra Bueno Silva. My goodness. Uh, somebody said online that you're going to have to... They're like... It's like the ace fight on this card before you get to see somebody who's, who's got a winning record in the UFC or coming off a win in the UFC. It's just the matchmaking is bad. All of these guys are getting paid peanuts. Endeavor specifically bought this company because this is how the profit sharing works. It's a bummer. But Terrence McKinney versus Nassim Sedikov. Uh, McKinney did have a terrible performance getting chased around the octagon by Ismail Bonfim and his last out. But the physical advantages are still clearly there. He's a big cat. He's got an almost five-inch reach advantage over Sedikov. And I did skim through his one main roster fight because... This is every single person in the UFC, just contender series people on 12K, 12K contracts. But uh, Sedikov looked very hittable in the fight that I scrolled through. So Terrence McKinney's a cool guy. As long as he keeps his footwork going, stays long, this other guy's probably in for a long fight. Uh, Otman Azatar is fighting Francisco Prado. Both guys coming off a loss in the UFC. But Azatar is interesting. He's really talented. I, I just only remember him as the guy who uh, got temporarily fired from the UFC for smuggling somebody into the COVID bubble in Abu Dhabi. Like somebody that's like somebody was like dropping between like hotel like rooms, like scaling like floors to get inside his COVID bubble or something. Ridiculous stuff. Uh, they're lightweight though, so that fight might be fun. Speaking of fun fighters though, Jack Della Maddalena. A little bright spot of beauty on this terrible, terrible card. Uh, he's fighting Basil Hafez. Huh? But after an absolutely insane series of adjustments, including the discovery of a 
like a fatal brain condition in the guy who replaced Sean Brady. Uh, Jack Della Maddalena finally has a fight, and he is the co-main event, as he deserves to be. Good, good on him. I don't really know what I can say about JDM that everybody in the world hasn't already said. He's got incredible boxing mechanics, great defense, a pitch-perfect jab that drives his whole fighting style. And this other kid, uh, he's a cage fury fighter. Uh, his last three fights, he got a finish, a split decision win, and lost in a split decision. Uh, hopefully JDM keeps it quick, keeps the, keeps the ending merciful. That would be what I would hope for, you know, a little mercy killing, hopefully. Instead of drawing it out, but Jack Delamontalena is definitely—I feel like they might slap a number on him after this fight, even though he was supposed to fight Sean Brady. They're definitely starting to to ramp him up and get him into contendership fights, which good. They're actually building a prospect the way they should for once. That was the co-main event. The main event—I gotta really respect it as somebody, you know. <laughs> Holly Holm has been hustling for the better part of a decade from one perfectly timed head kick, and, like, good for her, man. Good for her. Uh, Myra Buena Silva is definitely a good fighter. I did I did uh, scroll through the tape a little bit, but Holm is always in, like, such great shape. She always looks great. She can just pick you up and hold you against the fence for an entire round. Uh, I, I, had, I When I was scrolling through the last few Holly fights, I didn't see much of her, like, on the ground, which is where Buena Silva puts her grappling to work. She's coming off of a uh, an arm bar and a knee bar submission. That's the thing. is like you get two consecutive finishes in a, in a row in the women's bantamweight division, and you will be fighting Holly Holm in a main event, or you will be getting the main event. It's ridiculous. But that's the other thing. Buena Silva looked a little bit more aggressive on the feet in the Leon Landsberg fight. But the truth is, I really have no idea how this fight is going to go. I don't really expect it to be exciting. Bueno Silva could take Holly Holm down and finish her. That would be interesting. But I imagine Holly Holm is going to keep the fight in the feet, hold her up against the cage for rounds at a time, and just cruise to a very, very easy decision. Ugh. Incredible that such a great card can be followed up by uh, this card. This card. But that's about it. I'm very happy to be back. I'll be back again next week. If I'm not back again next week, uh, just assume that I'm dead or something. But, well, this has been the MMA Frequency. My name is Joe. I'll see you around. Bye-bye.